Today is September 3rd, 2017, and the title of today's sermon is Heavenly Perspective. Heavenly Perspective. Turn with me to Colossians 4 and verse 2. Are you there? It says this, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. Everybody say, mystery of Christ. Man, what a beautiful thing that we get to share with others, the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly. It's one thing to proclaim it. It's another thing to proclaim it clearly so that people can understand, as I should. Be wise in every, uh, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Everybody say, full of grace. Full of grace. Seasoned with salt. Everybody say, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer a few people. So that you may know how to answer everyone, right? This is the scripture that we've been, uh, that's been on our hearts as a pastoral team, as a leadership team for the last few days, that we want to make the most of every single opportunity. We have a few pictures for some of the outreaches that we did uh, yesterday. How many of you got to go with us yesterday? I know some of you were working, making up for lost time during the week, uh, getting back in some hours on the job, and so that was exciting. We were glad that you were able to do that. Uh, here is a jambalaya uh, dinner that we did in the Arias neighborhood, in Gabriel's neighborhood, uh, Carolyn's neighborhood. We talked on Wednesday night. Jerusalem is, is this household and it's your household. When the word tells us to go into all the world, start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost. Well, we're, we are really focused on going to the uttermost, aren't we? We're, we're talking about planting missions work all over the world. Pastor Eric and the Arizinas uh, are still out in Indonesia. They're heading back this way, trying to get things ready for a permanent move for multiple families in our church to Turkey. What an incredible thing, that uttermost parts of the world. But in your own homes, in this church, you're Jerusalem. In our neighborhoods, the actual people who live next door to us, the, our, our Judea, uh, is what we were doing here. And we'll flip through. I don't even know exactly what all the pictures are. I believe, obviously, this is Gabriel, this is Pastor Matt in his cool Cuban hat. Uh, we'll call him Cuban Pete. Um, I believe that's a gentleman from, the, from, from Turkey. He's a, his name is Mo. Uh, he is a Kurdish um, person that they met there in the neighborhood. Uh, guys, it, it's amazing, right? Our hearts are, are pointing towards Turkey. We've got people that are going to go live there. And so what happens everywhere that we're going? We're finding people from Turkey... We're finding people of different ethnic groups that are there in Turkey, and it's a very, uh, very interesting thing about all these groups. But a Kurdish man lives in Gabriel's neighborhood that I think Pastor Matt said they got to talk to several times over the course of us serving food, going door-to-door, seeing what we could do to help people. Next picture. Um, this is a group. I think this was a, a group from New Orleans that was there or some folks from New Orleans. I think there's a NOLA shirt on in there. Uh, that the whole team got to pray for another group. Can we go ahead and see? <laughs> this is us preparing for the jambalaya. This was the night before, cutting up. I don't know if you guys see on the left hand behind my back there is tons of onions. So we were all weeping before the Lord there. It was good. Uh, this is the other group. Andrew is a star, man. Look at that. that that's some camera readiness right there. This was... Uh, so our Jerusalem here and in your own home, our Judea in our neighborhoods, and we picked Gabriel's neighborhood because uh, we had to go get the areas the other day and everybody was getting out by boats. So we picked this neighborhood, right? This is our Samaria, 
our, our community. This was a place down off of uh, Brazewood in Meyerland. It's at an apartment community called Knob Hill. Anybody notice Knob Hill? We're getting a little biblical terms going on here. Um, we'll go to the next picture. Oh, yeah. Okay, so, yeah. I, I, just, I just shuddered a little bit because uh, I don't know if you could tell this couch that we're trying to pick up. There's a couple of guys on the other end, uh, but praise God, they were not men who are used to lifting anything. And so, yeah, I'm still a little sore. Actually, I just, when I saw the picture, I was like, ugh. Uh, basically had to bench press a couch up a couple of flights of stairs by myself. So that was, that was a lovely... <sighs> I'm too old for this kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, but praise God. Um, if you go back one, one slide, I want to tell you about, you couldn't see him on the other end of this couch, was a, a devout Muslim from Iran. Uh, his name was Hanan. And uh, we were there. He had a, a friend that had a, a believer from Kazakhstan who was there. And I was talking to those two guys. And I uh, tried to forgive them for all of the lack of help on the moving things. But, but I had a chance to pray with, uh, with a, our Muslim friend. And uh, it's amazing. What we have here, this way of life, what the Word teaches us, we should never be intimidated, not one day, not one time, not ever. I asked our, my Muslim friend after we had spent a couple of hours moving things with him, I said, hey, I know that we pray to different gods. Can I pray for you in the name? Can I pray to my God on your behalf? And the Christian that was with us from Kazakhstan was, he just got tense. His arms dropped down by his side. His head tucked. He was, he was jittering around. And the Muslim said, oh, of course. Of, of course. My Christian friend continued to stay because I was praying things like, Lord, <laughs> would you? To the one true and living God, would you reveal yourself to him through visions and dreams? Would you allow the truth of the Messiah, your son, to come into this man's heart? Would you allow him to see what truth is? Kept praying and finished it out in Jesus' name. The, <laughs> hey, my Christian friend that I just met was beside himself. He was about to throw up because he was so nervous. Our Muslim friend went, thank you so much. Shook his hand, hugged him, and, and took off, right? Let's not be intimidated in this season. If we're going to make the most of every opportunity, there's no point in handing out food. There's no point in moving a couch unless you're going to go pray with somebody. Amen. There is no point to fix the natural realm and not deal with the spiritual realm. It's a waste of your time and it's a waste of their time. I can't wait to share some testimonies more tonight when you guys are around. Peyton has some great testimonies. In, in this one place, I don't know if there are any pictures on this one. Oh, yeah, there was, there was Ben. One more. Uh, this is a gentleman, Joseph, from Louisiana. Surprise, surprise. We have our Muslim friends from Iran. We have Louisianians. Praise God. Uh, Bim is there praying with Joseph. Bim spent a lot of time with him, an incredible testimony of what the Lord, uh, through, through our guys, was able to do. Uh, Peyton got to spend some time with some Jewish folks yesterday. Hey, this is fun. Y'all, it's fun when you get to go do this. You get to go in neighborhoods and meet your neighbors. You get to go and find uh, uh, Kurdish folks from Turkey. You get to find Muslims from Iran. You get to find Jews from Israel. <laughs> you get to find all kind of people. And you know what works in every case and every time? Is when you can go back to the Word and start sharing with them. It's an incredible thing. What's going on is an incredible thing. What a difference a week makes, right? Last Sunday we were trying to get here. Some of us couldn't. This week, we're, by the end of this week, was what's going on. I also want to show you a couple other pictures here. I'm going to give Joy just a second to switch over. Uh, some news that just came today. 
So we have all these, we're making the most of every opportunity. Here's a few pictures from our area um, lately. You guys know in the Barker Reservoir area. Here's a before shot. Here's an after shot. We still have folks who are, are, are in water. There's still areas of town. We need to keep our hearts open. We have the Thomases who still aren't able to get back into their property uh, where they serve as a cares team because it's still underwater. There's a lot of those kind of things going on. Let me show you something else that's going on here. This was this morning, by the way. Uh, I got an alert on my phone about 11.30 last night that there was an earthquake in North Korea. But South Korea immediately began to say, yeah, that's not a natural earthquake, by the way. What happened was they actually, the North Koreans te tested an, a hydrogen bomb this morning. Enough to produce about a 6.3, I don't remember the exact number, like a 6.3 earthquake from the size of the bomb that was dropped that they tested. Turn the next slide. We have Los Angeles fires that are going on. I know, we've been involved in our world, right? We're like, look, we've been, we've been dealing with the water in our place. Some of the largest fires in history in California are occurring right now. Would you guys, would everyone turn to Matthew chapter 24 with me for just a minute? It's almost like if we can trust in the Word of God, that if we can trust in what He's doing in our lives, He will direct us in every single step that we take. Take a look at Matthew chapter 24 and verse 4. I need everybody to get there even though it's on the screen. Matthew 24, verse 4. It says this, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ. You know, there are actual popular musicians who call themselves by uh, names for the Messiah. They actually call themselves this. It's incredible. They will deceive many. You would think that someone coming along saying, I'm Christ. No, they'll actually deceive people. Look at verse 6. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Bombs being tested. Words being exchanged between world leaders. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Everybody say, I am not alarmed. I am not alarmed. If you are alarmed when I show you the pictures, the Word of God says, do not be alarmed because the Lord has already told us. This was written several thousand years ago. He already told us that this was going to happen. He already laid it out for us. Such things must happen. Everybody say, must. must. doesn't say there might happen. He says there must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. What's the difference? Nations have borders. Kingdoms don't always have borders. They're not always some fictitious line that's drawn somewhere that you can go, I'm in one country, now I'm in the other country. These are kingdoms. These, these can be natural kingdoms and as well as spiritual principalities. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Maybe we could add floods and fires to that as well. All these are the beginning. Everybody say beginning. beginning. Of birth pains. And aren't you glad in the middle of this? Like this could be depressing, right? You're like, man, this is kind of heavy. I thought, we'd like, I thought we just dropped on the couch to, to watch some Netflix here today. No, 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 no. No, we're going to get after what the Lord has for us. Amen. We're going to become alive in our spirits. We are not those that get weary and well-doing because that's not how you reap the harvest that God has for you. So we're going to look at this and understand that the Word of God says, do not be alarmed. If you need to write this on your mirror, do not be alarmed. If you need to remind yourself on, the, on some of the things that you've torn out of your house, if you need to put a note right above it and says, do not be alarmed. This is not the time for the real church, for the real people of God to get alarmed. This is the time that we rise up and say, this is our day. 
This is the time for us to shine. We are the salt. We are the light. We are clothed with the very power from on high. We've got the answer. Okay, that was, a, uh, again, come on, man. That was good. Y'all need to wait. Okay. Um, let's keep reading. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted. Uh-oh. And put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear. As I was reading this passage this morning, I thought of names in my head about false prophets. N- names actually came to my mind. I was like, oh, Lord. I don't remember ever reading this passage and actually thinking about certain, certain people that we have in our day and time. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most, everybody say most, most. will grow cold. What does that mean for us? We're going to keep reading here in just a second. What does that mean for us? If the love of most will grow cold, do you know what it means? We have to work very diligently to keep our love hot, to keep this thing on fire on the inside of us, to let God's power to be there, to not have our light be hid under a bushel, to not have our salt lose its saltiness, that we have to understand and keep striving for these things. I am so proud of you guys as a church. I know we have some visitors here today. Church, I am so proud of you for this last week. I am so proud of how you guys have responded. And you know what? It's been one week. What a great week. Good job. Amen. Now what are we going to do this week? We're not going to let our love grow cold. We're not going to get weary in well-doing. Look, let's keep going in verse 13. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. We're going to make it our habit and our goal to stand firm. And this gospel of the kingdom. Everybody say the kingdom. Not the gospel of prosperity, not the gospel of some other type of thing, but the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This is not new for us. The idea that that the world is not in a good state has been upon us for a while, and we get to see it, we get to live it. It's not just someone else's testimony now, it's our testimony here. But what are we going to do about this? Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13. (laughs) I chose a Matthew passage, but we could have chosen 10 other passages to explain this, couldn't we? (laughs) In the last days, people will become lovers of themselves, boastful, arrogant, prideful. Yeah, we we could keep reading this and we understand that it's talking about us and it's talking about now just as much as it was talking to the people that it was originally written to. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, let's look in verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. Look at, look at this next phrase. Or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. As you're dealing with folks around you, can't you see the folks that don't have any hope? You start talking to them and what happens? They're going to talk to you about their insurance. They're going to talk to you about everything that they've lost. As you're talking to people, are you with me? As you're talking to people, listen to how many of them are concerned about how many things that they lost. I understand. That's right in their face, right? But we don't grieve as those who have no hope. When I'm talking to somebody and all they can think of is the things and they are, they are under the weight and the burden of the oppression of going, yeah, I don't quite know about the hope because maybe their hope, was not placed in the, their hope hasn't been placed in the Lord. 
Perhaps it was placed in their things. And when the things are destroyed, what happens? Their very foundation of their life is shaken. It's sh- they become unsteady going, yeah, this is difficult. Please understand, I'm not making light of the difficulty. I'm trying, to understand, I'm trying to help us to understand today. When you're talking to people, their worst problem is not the physical realm. We, we, we're going to help with that. We're going to find people to help. You're going to find people to help in your neighborhood. We're going to back you 100%. We're going we're to do exactly what God puts before us. But the problem of the people that you're running into, the biggest problem is what is their spiritual state. Yes, we know this, Pastor. And I'm going to keep reminding you, it's good that I remind you. The Word of the Lord says, says these kind of phrases. It's good that I keep telling you this because we need to be reminded of it that everyone, if you're going on a sales call, if you're going back to work and talking to the person in the cubicle next to you, their problem is the spiritual state that they're in more than the water level in their house. <laughs> it's true. Because we are not of those who have no hope. We don't grieve like that. That's why you can look at it and go, praise God, we, we lost everything. Or we lost nothing. And you can have the same heart of gratitude towards the Lord because we have hope. Turn to, uh, since you're in First Thessalonians, turn back to chapter 1. We're getting somewhere today, guys. I, I, let, just, just stay with me. Let your heart stay open to this. First Thessalonians chapter 1, and let's start in verse 2. It says this, We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before God our Father your work produced by faith. One of our favorite uh, passages at this church, right? You should, you should be very familiar with this. Work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by If you have hope in what the Lord is doing, you have a different perspective than the people around you. Amen. The people around you, and sometimes us, if we're not careful, we slip into a different perspective. We slip into a different mindset. We slip into something that's other than the Word. We have to have endurance inspired by hope. That's why I'm saying, hey guys, a great week. Now, I can't, I, I know, and I can't, and you would never prescribe this either. We can't say that we have endurance inspired by hope yet in this realm. We, we have a good start is what we have. We want to have endurance inspired by hope. Let's just take a look, just a quick uh, a machine gun-like look at some hopeful scriptures. Look, look at Psalm 25. You might want to write these down. You might want to be able to share these with your neighbors, with your friends. Put them in, on your mirror to remind you of things, whatever it is. Psalm 25. We're just going to go rapid fire through these. Let's look at Psalm 25.1. Are you there? Yes. By the way, Psalm 25 is an acrostic in the original language. It's kind of neat. Each, each letter of the alphabet gets a different verse. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. Whatever enemy that may be, whether that's a person, whether that's a principality, whether that's an event. Lord, don't let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. But they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. Uh, Verse 3, I have it highlighted. It's... It goes over, it plays on repeat in my head. When I get nervous, when I get worried, I go, Lord, no one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. Ever. Ever. Psalm 31, a few pages over. Look at verse 23 and 24. 
Love the Lord, all his saints. The Lord preserves his, the faithful, but the proud he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Don't you need those calls to, those call of, to wake us up, to move us towards hope today? Look at Psalm 33. Verse 18. Well, let's go to 16. I can't skip it. I was going to try to skip it, but I can't. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes because of his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. <laughs> Come on, we were helping folks yesterday and their car had water line that was at the headrest inside the car. There were cars that had more water than that. A horse, a vehicle is a vain hope for deliverance. Your, your 401k, vain hope for deliverance. Your own resources, those are pretty vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. Look at 18. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him. Is it reassuring to you that the eyes of the Lord are on you as you fear Him? He's looking after you. You ever, you ever try to watch a kid and then you get distracted and you're not paying attention? Yeah, yeah nobody, nobody in here, right? Y'all need to raise your hands. Y'all need to wake up. I see it. It'll happen today after church. Just hang out for a few minutes. Y'all be talking to me and, wait, wait, <laughs> where's the kids, right? The Lord never does that. He never loses his focus or attention on those who fear him. It actually says in another place, the eyes of the Lord are ranging. He's looking. John 4 says that he is, he's looking after those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. We have here... The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those whose hope is in His unfailing love. You can trust in His unfailing love. What To do what? To deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. How do you wait? We wait hopefully, in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. By the way, the word there for help is our word easer. We should be familiar with that. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. May Your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in You. Let's turn to Psalm 37, verse 9. <clears throat> for evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Turn to Psalm 130. Psalm 130 in verse 5. It says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in His Word I put my hope. And this is a song. He's singing it unto the Lord, a song of ascent, as they're going up to Jerusalem, as they're making their, their pilgrimages to, to Jerusalem. They're saying this, Lord, I wait for You. Lord, we're waiting. We need some help here. We're waiting on You, and in Your Word we can put our hope and our trust. Turn to Psalm 147, verse 11. Psalm 147 and verse 11. It says this, The Lord delights in those who fear Him. Everybody say delights. delights. Just delights. Is there something that just delights you? You just, you know, that little, that little special uh, dessert, that sweet treat that you have that I don't need a lot of it. It's just, it's just delightful. It's, man, I really, man, a good cup of coffee in the morning. God, I got your Bible out. Sun is shining. It just makes you do some For some of you, if you're like my wife, sitting on a beach somewhere, listening to the waves just kind of crashing around. 
It says that the Lord delights. It makes him smile. He takes pleasure in. Um, lost my place. <laughs> the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. When we have our hope placed rightly, it pleases the Lord. Last one, Isaiah 43. I'm sorry, let's do Isaiah 40. You can still ooh because it's going to be good. It's all right. Woo, 43, yeah. Though I pass through the waters, yeah. I know. I, I figured y'all all knew that one anyway, so we, we're going with Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Uh, let's go back to 28. This will be a blessing. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. Aren't you glad that he doesn't grow tired and weary? Guys, I know that we know some of these verses. Let's not, let's not uh, put on that we've been in church a lot kind of thought. Let's, let's think about the specialness of each of these words that we're reading. He doesn't grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, those who wait and hope on him will renew their strength. Come on, we're going to have to have a season of renewed strength in this house, aren't we? It's going to take us a while. If you, were, uh, if you helped us last year in the Louisiana floods, about this time last year, there are still people that today have not fully gotten into their houses from last year. There's the rescue efforts. You've got to get people out of the water. Then you kind of have a little bit of small period where it's a relief, like we just need some help. We need food. We need to find a place that has got some gas. You're in a relief phase. And then you know what happens after that? You get a long, long recovery phase. You know what we are? We're the church. We're not only going to be there during the rescue phase. We're going to be there to help with the relief phase. And we're going to be there until the recovery phase is done. Because that's what we do. This is what our church is here for. What an incredible thing as we see the hope of the Lord. But how can we hope in Him? Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. How can we have this hope, man? This is incredible. Look at Hebrews 8, and we're going to start in verse 3. Hebrews 8, 3. It says this. Every high priest is anointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Yeah, I don't have time. I'm not going to take time on this today. But, but listen to what every high priest offers. Gifts and sacrifices. So if you're in this season right now and you've had uh, damage in your house, Lord, the things that we've lost, we offered up to you. Lord, may it come before you as a sacrifice. We, we just offer these things up to you. We can't do anything to keep it anyway. It's just stuff. We give it to you. <laughs> what God gives back to us is often so much more and his gifts to us are innumerable. But we have here the priest offering both gifts and sacrifices. How are you doing offering the Lord gifts and sacrifices? Do we only give to the Lord those things that are extra that we can offer as a gift? I don't mind giving this, but the things that sacrifice that we have to hurt for, those are the things that we must give equally to the Lord, whether it's a sacrifice or a gift. 
And so it is necessary for this one also to have something to offer. Yeah, the Bible tells us clearly, you can't go before the Lord without offering Him something. That's why we're supposed to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow Him. We're coming and offering our very lives, our very sustenance before Him. If He were on earth, verse 4, He would not be a priest, for there are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. Now, if you were with us on our foundations, you know this idea of pattern. I could show you seven different scriptures, starting in Exodus 25, that talk about how Moses built according to the pattern. Do you know how we can have hope in what's going on around us? Because we can have the perspective that says that God has a pattern and what He is doing, we are causing heaven to come down to earth. We are causing things that are in the heavenlies to be made manifest on the earth. Take a look at Isaiah. Isaiah for me. Isaiah chapter 66. The last chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah has 66 chapters. The Bible has 66 books. Isaiah's chapters are really broken down where the first 39 are giving us a warning. The last 27 or so are, are pointing us towards the resolution of everything. It's an incredible way that Isaiah has been written. Let's look at Isaiah 66 and verse 1. Are you there? Yeah. It says this, This is what the Lord says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? And where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things so that they came into being? This is the Lord reminding His people here what? Hey, uh, yeah, heaven is my throne. The earth is where I stick my feet sometimes. It's my ottoman here. I'm just going to put my feet right here. It's my footstool, right? The Lord is saying, yeah, I've got this in control, guys. I am a big God who's got all the resources that I need. Where's the house you're going to build for me? Where will my resting place be? Hasn't God made these things? Turn with me to Acts. I'm trying to keep us flipping through the Word today. Staying in the Word. Acts chapter 7. Let's start in verse 44. This is Stephen laying out an incredible sermon. He is, he is preaching it. He is bringing down fire. And you know what uh, Stephen's reward for this is? Death. He brings it to the people. Here look in Acts 7. We just read Isaiah 66. This is Stephen's take on how Isaiah 66 fits in to the plan. Look at verse 44. Acts 7, 44. Everybody there? Our forefathers had the tabernacle of the testimony with them in the desert. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern or the perspective that he had seen. Having received the tabernacle, our fathers under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built the house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by men. Praise God. Praise God. He's not confined to a building. As the prophet said, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? That's out of Isaiah 66. Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? 
This pattern that God is laying out, this is the way of life that we have. We see it throughout the Word that we know that there are going to be difficulties around us, but our perspective has to be that God is still in control. We spoke to, uh, I was with Peyton yesterday, and we spoke to an 82-year-old lady. And, and she was, she's about to turn 83, this sweet little Jewish lady. And we were talking to her, and, and I said, Hey, Miss Sandra, man, isn't it incredible that the God of all creation has, has allowed you to, to be standing here? That you survived this? That, that God has shown His graciousness to you and that you're still here talking to me? You've got your son helping you. You've got people helping you. Man, isn't the God of, all, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, isn't He so good to you? Her response was, yeah, it doesn't feel like it right now. I wish He would be a little bit nicer. And I went, wow. I, I understand from her perspective but she doesn't have a heavenly perspective. From our perspective, we say, yeah, our Lord is perfect. He is right and just in all He does. The Lord doesn't make mistakes. If you're having trouble getting to work, if you're having to drive a little bit longer to get to work and to get home, that, how many people are having, a, having some difficulty even getting to church now, right? We've got some difficulties going on. Yeah, those aren't difficulties, guys. You know why? Because you change your perspective and you go, I'm not going to have an earthly perspective. I'm going to have a heavenly perspective. You know what you can do? Uh, now you can go back and listen to a sermon that you, that you meant to listen to before. You're like, yeah, I didn't get all that. I need, I need to go listen to that one that, that Justin Treister preached the other day. Man, insufficient funds. Man, I got to go, go listen to that one again. Man, I got to go back and get some old school. I got to go back and listen to the ones like Dreamer. Man, I, I just, I just want to listen to these things. You know what you got when you got extra time in your car? Time to connect with the Lord of all creation. You change your perspective to heavenly, Right? You, hey, you know what? I've been meaning to pray more. Golly, I just don't have time to pray. Well, you do now. <laughs> you got twice as long of a drive, man. You can listen to a sermon. You can pray. You can worship. You can talk to your spouse and pray together. On the, I mean, what happens when we just start changing our perspective? I'm not talking about just having a uh, rose-colored glasses and you're seeing everything cheery. I'm saying that we shift to go, God, you're good. If you're doing this, if there's difficulties in my life, it's got to be for my good. So let me, let me arise and hope and go, hey man, this is going to be a great season. This is going to be a great time. Amen. Let's look, let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. We get this heavenly perspective. We get the pattern that is given to us from, from on high. Look in Genesis 1. It says this. Let's start in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. The Hebrew words there are tohu, vavohu. Formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Where we pick up our story, where the Bible picks up the story that is related to us, is right here. And there's chaos. There's darkness. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. When God speaks, things start to become clear to you, don't they? God saw that the light was good. It was good. And He separated. Everybody say separated. separated. From the very beginning, God is trying to separate things out. The very beginning of the story, when things actually start happening, when God starts creating light, what does He do? He creates light and then He separates it from the darkness. Look at the next verse. 
He separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning. Which one was first? There was darkness that was transitioning towards the light. From the very first day that was created, we go from darkness to light. You know what the bigger picture, you know what the pattern from heaven is? Your life will go from darkness to light as you allow Him to move on your behalf. That's the way it started in my life. We are born, we are sinners. We get here and we are in darkness and we have to move to the light. You can't stay in the darkness. We are not children of the, of the darkness. We are children of the light. Come on. We were once darkness. We were not just once in darkness. We were once darkness. And now we have become light. This is the same story from the very beginning, the very first page. There was evening and morning the first day. Look at verse 6. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to what? To separate water from water. And He made the sky. What happens on the third day? He separates the water from the land. What happens on the fourth day? By the way, it takes Him till the fourth day to make the sun, the moon, and the stars. What day did He make the light? What day did He make the sun, the moon, and the stars? Come on now. He doesn't need the sun to produce light for us. He created light itself. When He speaks, He doesn't need anything to do it. He just likes to make the sun to be able to govern the day and the moon to be able to govern the night. He is separating those things out. And you know what He starts doing after that? He starts filling the creation. Day five, He filled the sky. Day six, He filled the land. And on the seventh day, He rested. What we have here is it going from darkness into light that God is trying to separate. Okay, pastor, that's great. It's about creation. Okay, so here's what we need to remember. That the darkness around us, He is separating things out. And you know what He uses to separate things out? Us. He uses those in the kingdom to make things and put things in right order. When you go out and you minister to those around you, you know what you are doing? You're acting as an agent of God Himself. And you're saying, hey, whatever darkness is in your life, This little part of your life or your life or my life, it's darkness and we've got to move you towards light. This is the structure. Um, Joy, can you put up 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17? Separate. Everybody say separate. Separate. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Don't touch any unclean thing and I will receive you. This is what the Lord is always trying to do. If we're following the pattern, you know what happens? We're separated from the rest of the world. How many of you have been separated from family members because you love the Lord? Yeah, most of the folks in here, right? You should be. You should be. It should cause a separation. That's what the kingdom of God does. Some people hate that idea. They want to have a big kumbaya with everybody. And the Lord said, yeah, but my people are going to be separate. Amen. Going to gather the wheat and the tares. And then what happens? We're going to gather them at the end and then you separate those out. The tares get burned up. The wheat is enjoyed. What happens with the sheep and the goat? Bring them all together. You know what you do? You separate them out. This is what the kingdom is always about, and we are agents of this. It's about our perspective. Turn to Luke chapter 11. This plan that includes going from darkness to light, this plan, this perspective that we've got to have that we're going from chaos towards order, you realize that's opposite of everything that the world... That's, that's not even our laws of thermodynamics. Laws of thermodynamics teach you when you're in science in 7th grade or ninth grade or whatever it is, they teach you that things go from order and they devolve into chaos. 
God's entire system says, yeah, it's in chaos, and I will cause it to become in perfect order so that at the end we are ruling and reigning with Him in perfect. Everybody say perfect. perfect. In perfect order. Luke 11, verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. You like all the specifics here? Yeah, there was this one day and Jesus was kind of playing, praying in a place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Yeah, I imagine if you, saw, you and I saw Jesus praying, you'd ask him the same question. You ever seen somebody pray so much, you were like, yeah, I need, to, I need to do what you do. Man. Teach us to pray. Join us just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Lord, we want what that pattern is there to come here, and we want to help you do it. I can't necessarily get it in all the earth yet, but it's going to be seen in me. Your kingdom is going to be seen in me because that's what I'm asking for. In Matthew 6, it says it this way. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. It explains that to us clearly. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. Let's look at verse 15. We have a perspective that must be from the heavens. It must guide our steps. In Revelation 11 and verse 15 it says this, The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, listen to what it says, listen to the voices of the angels declaring, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and Christ. Makes me want to start singing, uh, you know, Handel's Messiah here. The kingdoms of the world, right? The kingdoms of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and Christ. How does that happen? It's because it has gone from chaos into order because God has brought His kingdom down here. Amen. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. He will reign forever and ever and ever. That is what we are bringing to this world. When we see the destruction around us, we should be having a heavenly perspective and thinking, Lord, this is a time where we actually get to put our hands, get our feet in there, go somewhere and hug somebody and talk to them and bring them the life that we can come and bring your kingdom. One day it's going to be that's all that we see. One day we will get to stand with Him, our risen and victorious Savior, and we'll go, yes, it is now what we see everywhere. Until then, our hearts have had our eyes opened. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That's what it says in Ephesians 1. So that we can see what God is doing. This is a time for us to do this. Let's, let's keep going here in, in Revelation. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God. Wow. How amazing is our God that even the heavenly creatures who see Him constantly, yeah, it never gets old saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have you, begun, you have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time, for, the time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets. We're back to the same theme that we've been on for a while, my friends. That when God comes to set it in right order, He will see what we have done and He rightly judges the wicked and He rightly preserves the saints. He rightly judges and He rightly rewards. 
and your saints and those who, uh, who reverence your name. Those who reverence your name. In Isaiah 66, it talks about those are the ones that God is looking for. Those who will tremble at His Word. Those who have so much reverent awe for God that it is an obedience that they, that they joyfully walk in. And here we see it as well. Those who reverence your name, those saints that are rewarded from on high. You know, this, this idea here is the same uh, when we're looking at the kingdom of the world has become. In 2 Corinthians 5, it talks about that we are new creatures, that we are new creation. We have become something entirely different. This is the same word. The same kind of transformation that is seen in us is what's seen in the kingdom. It's an incredible, an incredible thing. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. It says this, Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. My friends, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Everybody look at me for just a second. This is something that you can't just go, yes, I know this. This is something that you have to constantly be doing daily. Come on, let's be real. You have to do it hourly. You have to keep focusing on it. Why? Because our minds do not want to stay on those things above, do they? We don't want to go towards that heavenly perspective. We have our own view of things. You know how you can do a Google Earth? You can do the street view or you can do the big over one, the big overhead view. Yeah, we have to get to the big overhead view because we are stuck on a street view around us. We're stuck on looking at things that are there and we have to constantly remind ourselves that we have to get the heavenly perspective. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, I need a heavenly perspective. This is more true than we're giving it credit for. It is more true because uh, I have to just be honest with you guys. Yeah, I don't always keep the heavenly perspective. I have to remind myself of Colossians 3 always. I need to set my mind. (laughs) This is not whatever that item was in the past that was sold on TV to set it and forget it. You, You can't just change one thing. Yes, I put that on my list and I put a check on it. And so I can, or I can scratch it out now. This is not something that's like that. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your minds on things above. We set our heart on things above. We have to set our mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died. Everybody say, I died. As a believer, you have died to yourself. You have died to your old way of life. You have died to the sins that were controlling you. Since you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Listen, hidden with Christ in God. Yeah, I want to be hidden with Christ. I don't want to be so tucked away that my thoughts are His thoughts, that His feelings are my feelings, that what He wants is what I want. We are hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, when that darkness becomes light for the last time, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Man, what an incredible thought. Turn with me to Psalm 11. I, I've just got to share this with you. This was something that uh, I haven't seen in the Scriptures until today. We're going to stay in Psalm 11 just for, just for a few minutes. 
I'm going to thus, and I'm going to use the board here. Guys, we know in our church we've learned something that's called a chiastic structure. Hebrews, I mean, uh, Psalm 11, I noticed the chiastic structure this morning in it. Okay? And we're going to go through this and we're going to do this together very quickly. Verse 1, In the Lord I take refuge. Everybody say refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Isn't that a good question for us today? When the foundations of our neighborhoods are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? When things are difficult, what is it that we can do about this? The Lord in His holy temple... The Lord is on His heavenly throne. He observes the sons of men. His eyes examine them. What perspective does the Lord have? Clearly, He has the heavenly perspective because that is where He is seated. Verse 5, The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked and those who love violence His soul hates. Everybody look at that. His soul hates it. Come on now. God doesn't hate... Yes, sure. God absolutely hates the wicked. Says it. His soul hates it. On the wicked he will rain, fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. Upright men will see his face. Let's take a look at this. We're going to just do this very quickly. What's verse 1? Can you put verse 1 on the screen for me, Joy? It says this, In the Lord I take refuge. My friends, this is a time where we need to take refuge in the Lord and encourage others to take refuge in the God of all creation. What is the next verse? So this is verse 1. Verse 2 says, For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set the arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows. Of course, that, where else would the wicked shoot from, right? They're not going to stand out there and actually fight you. They're going to find some hidden, devious place and try to fire arrows at who? At those that are upright in heart. At the ones who are looking at the Lord. So we have the wicked... We have the wicked attacking. Right? What's verse 3 say? When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? We have foundations here. We have the foundations that are being destroyed and it produces a question. When things are getting shaky in your life, what do, what do we do? What is the Lord doing? You know, do you have a little footnote in your word? There on that verse in verse 3? When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? I have a little footnote in mind. It either says, what can the righteous do? Or what is the righteous one doing? Come on now. If, you ever, if you've sat down and talked to anybody, this question is going to come up. You're going to say, hey, believers, what can we do in these seasons? What do we need to do right now? What do we need to do today? Or, hey, what is the Lord doing in this? I, I can't see it. I don't quite understand. There's all this turmoil. There's all these problems. What exactly is the Lord doing? This foundation's being shaken produces this important question. And either one is correct. Whether you want to figure out what you want to do or what the Lord is doing. And then look at this. Let's put verse 4 on the screen. The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord is on His heavenly throne. Hey folks, the Lord didn't, he didn't fall. He didn't slip off the throne. He hasn't closed up shop for business. He's sitting on the heavenly throne. He observes the sons of men. His eyes examine them. (laughs) 
So we're going to have that the Lord reigns. He's sitting on His throne. This is the whole point of this psalm. If we can remember that He reigns, that He rightly sees everything that's going on, it begins to answer these questions. This is the chiastic structure. We have, we want to take refuge in the Lord. The wicked are attacking us, God. Yeah, what are we supposed to do? Everything is shaky. Oh, if we can remember that the Lord reigns, look at what the answers are. This is verse 4. This is verse 5 on the screen. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked and those who love violence His soul hates. The Lord begins to examine us. He examines. He watches. He judges. He's trying to see what our response is in times like this. How's your response? What's your response like on the little things? For some of it's easy, to, for, easy for us to get out of our houses and go do something, right? We want to, be, we want to do something. The Lord is ready to examine our hearts first. Because He reigns on high, we want to make sure that He's examining the righteous. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked and those who love violence, His soul hates. Look at verse 6. On the wicked He will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. So here, we we ask the Lord to examine us. And here in verse 6, we see that the wicked are judged. And then lastly, in the last verse, what do we see? For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. Upright men will see His face. He loves. The Lord our God is righteous and He loves justice. We will get to see Him. Okay, now walk with me quickly as we, as we close here in just a second. We have, when we can take refuge in the Lord... When we remember that He reigns, because we will get to see Him. We can take refuge because He's righteous and He will allow us to see Him. What happens when the wicked attack? When we can remember that the Lord reigns and get that heavenly perspective, we can also remember that the wicked are judged. He takes care of that problem. What about when the foundations are shaken? Why is the Lord doing this? What is going on? He's examining our hearts in this time. Because we have to get this heavenly perspective. Do you see this? I've never seen this before. We didn't read this out of a book. We just read Psalm 11 this morning and went, Oh my goodness. This is where we are as a church. This is where we are as a community. This is where we are as a nation. Lord, we want to take refuge in you because you're righteous. And we want to be able to see you. What does it say in the, in the Sermon on the Mount? That the pure in heart will get to see him. He's making sure. Why? Because he reigns. He won't be fooled. He won't be tricked. The wicked, when they attack, don't worry. They're going to get judged. God is going to take care of that. Man, my whole world is shaking right now. I'm not quite sure. I got questions. Pastor, I know I'm not supposed to have questions, but I got questions. Yeah, the Lord is using this season to examine our hearts because He reigns. This is an incredible thing for us to remember today. Let's turn to Psalm 139 as we close. Psalm 139. It says this. Let's start in verse 17. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. Can you say that? Does that resonate within your heart? 
When, you, when I'm looking at this, I'm going, oh, how precious are your thoughts to me, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Do you view God as one who forgets you often? Only thinks about you periodically? Because you shouldn't. Were I to count God's thoughts about each one of us, they would outnumber the grains of sand on a seashore. Come on, that should encourage you today. If you're not feeling well, if you've got issues going on in your life, if you're tired and worn out, if whatever the problem is, you've got a God who's actually thinking about you. In my household, I've got people in my household who are one-track minded. Dad, can, I, can we do this? Dad, hey, what about this? It's the same thing like 47 times in a row. They're obsessing about one thing. My son is, is wanting to get his Bible recovered. So he talks to me 27 times a day, 58 times a day, 716 times a day. Dad, can we go? Can we go? Hey, Dad, what if we did this? What about? Amen. Thank you. I got it. I just have to stop my family. Something. I've got it. You've been, you've been a herd. I know that you want this. I'm tired of hearing about it. Yeah, our God has his thoughts towards us are precious. If only, if, um, verse 18, were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God, away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Hey, guys. Because the Lord reigns, because we're taking refuge in Him, we cannot be shaken He's examining our hearts. You know why? Because He wants to see if we're thinking like He's thinking. He wants to see if we're feeling like He's feeling. We don't only need a compassion. Because, you know, I've heard the phrase for years, you can get compassion fatigue. Not as a believer. I I think think that's ridiculous. I think it's a ridiculous notion that you're going to have compassion fatigue. Well, you know what you have? You have a hardening of your heart. You see, all the, you see all the destruction around you and you just go, and you, start, you close off your heart instead of learning to see and to feel what God sees and feels. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. Come on now. Do you feel that way? If, if the Lord has an enemy, do you feel like they're your enemy? Because you should. You got your friends... If, pastor, if somebody's picking, you know, back in the day, hey, if Pastor Matt gets in trouble, yeah, we're all going to roll in there and help him, right? In a very natural, worldly kind of way. Even worldly people understand this, though they're doing it from wrong motives and wrong hearts. How much more as righteous people should we stand up and do exactly what the Lord is telling us? Verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Would you guys stand to your feet today?